Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Today is Friday, August 11th, 2017. Uh, and joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Tiffany, Erica, and Doug. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey. So today we have a very special show. Uh, today we are uh, talking to a guest, uh, Elizabeth Ross. Hi, Liz. Hi. Hi. So Liz is an uh, acupuncturist. Uh, I'm a practitioner of herbal medicine, and so that's what we're going to talk about uh, today, some of the details that uh, surround that field and uh, any questions that we might have. I know I have a few, um, but just conversational format, uh, just get to know each other and maybe shed some light on acupuncture, which uh, I think a lot of people are not really very familiar with. So that's, I guess, my first question is um, what, you know, to a layperson, what would you describe acupuncture to convey that it's like a, a practical, effective treatment method? Oh, that's a big question. So I feel like what I, the question that I hear most often is, why would I get an acupuncture treatment? And um, I have lots of answers for that question, but my, my most general question, or answer, I guess, is that what's, when you wake up in the morning, what isn't, what isn't perfect? Mm. Because um, whatever you're experiencing that isn't 100% ideal for how you're feeling, acupuncture can affect it in some way. Now, not every practitioner can affect it, but there is a framework within the spectrum of oriental medicine that will be effective on on everything it's, that's that's my feeling and i'm sure that there are some some you know small examples of things where it isn't effective i i know i found things that i'm not effective for yeah but um depending on the experience level and the training of your practitioner we can work on everything from head colds to um emotional issues to reproductive issues to um uh, I mean, in pain is sure. always the first thing that people talk about. Sure. But, I mean, I have books on almost everything. <laughs> so uh, how did you, I guess, to back up a little bit, how, how did you get started in acupuncture? Like, what was your, what, what brought you into it? Oh, that's a, that's a long story. Okay. But um, the, I've, to, to try to make it a little bit shorter, um, for me, my story with it starts at a pretty young age because I was just, I was a sick kid and I think I, um, I just had a lot of problems that whenever we, I, I would go to the doctor, you know, my, my parents would take me in and I would explain how I was feeling and the doctors would check me out and they would say, there's nothing wrong. And I would say, well, maybe you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and, um, then, you know, I had an allergist when I was starting when I was seven and I worked a lot with her and whenever I would have any of these weird problems, we'd go see her and she would say, oh no, you're just allergic to this, that, and the other thing. Um, I'd stop, you know, usually it was foods and uh, I'd stop eating those things or, you know, stop being exposed to those things and then all my problems would go away. And that was consistent with, with not just me, but my whole family especially on my mom's side, we have a lot of weird problems. 
And then she got into this thing, my, my allergist, she was in, she was, uh, probably in her seventies at this time. She was definitely an older woman, very controversial in the community because she was an MD and gastroenterologist, but she did a lot of weird things at the time, you know, muscle, muscle testing and developing her own treatments for things, but they were really effective. And so she got into this allergy elimination treatments because, um, and she was offering it as a thing that would be good for me because I was having a lot of problems when I was around 17. I got told I was going to be in a wheelchair chair before I was 30 because I probably had rheumatoid arthritis and it was just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And, um, yeah, it was, it was bad. Uh, it was a bad time for me. Um, and then she was like, well, rheumatoid arthritis is all food allergies. And I was like, well, okay. And, um, stopped eating all the foods I was allergic to. The pain that I had had since I was like three went away within a week. And then, she was saying, let's, let's get rid of these allergies. And I was like, that doesn't happen. You can't get rid of allergies. And it was all, the treatment that she used is called um, NAET. And I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with that. Um, yeah. Namjudapad's allergy elimination techniques. And it's all based on acupuncture and chiropractics. And because uh, the woman who developed it, she's from India and she's an acupuncturist. She's a, she's a chiropractor and a, and maybe she, I can't remember if she's also an MD or if she's also a lawyer. I can't remember. She had like three big, uh, degrees. And, um, so that was kind of my introduction to acupuncture as a thing, but I didn't know that that's what it was. And then when I came up here for college, I, I, I went to Michigan Tech for geological engineering and I was halfway through my engineering degree and my best friend got me an acupuncture session from our friend Marcy who we had known and we knew that she did acupuncture and I was really curious because I had always been interested in traditional medicine like since I was really little because also um, my dad's side of the family we have a tiny bit of um, Ojibwe if you go back to my my dad's great-grandmother and I felt really connected to that from a really young age and I was upset that I wasn't learning to be a medicine woman my whole childhood. <laughs> and um, and so I was, you know, compromising that I couldn't find a time machine so I would study natural disasters instead because who's not interested in that? And so anyway, I'm on the acupuncture table for my first treatment and we're talking about it and I'm like, oh my God, this is my time machine because this is traditional medicine that has survived you know, thousands of years, they actually wrote it down and, and, and they brought it into modern times. And we could have a long conversation about how, you know, modern acupuncture is not the same as, as it was pre communist revolution, but that's not why we're here. So I anyway, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I finished my engineering degree because at that time I was like, well, I, I mean, this is my time machine, but is, you know, am I ready for that big of a change and jump off of that kind of a cliff? And, and I wasn't at that time. And so I finished engineering and that's actually how I moved to Hawaii was for an um, engineering job. And I worked as an engineer for three years and kept getting acupuncture. And um, I was very 
unhappy working in engineering and my boyfriend at the time was a very good influence because he just didn't accept that I wasn't happy and he was like so what do you what would you rather be doing what would you rather be doing what would you rather be doing and I had a quarter-life crisis and finally admitted that what I really wanted to do was acupuncture and uh, quit engineering and went back to school and that's that cool yeah awesome how long is a program to go through to get acupuncture? Like, would it be like a medical school type program, or is it? Two it's years a, it's a, it's a, it's a four-year master's. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people do it in three years because they don't take the summers off. So it's, I think you have to, you have to do three years and a semester at least. So, however, you have to work out your credits in order to get those. Um, the time I, d I did mine in four years. I took a, I took summers off because I could, and um, I wasn't. I just wasn't in a rush. I love school because it's easy. You know, you know exactly what you need to do to succeed. Whereas the real world is a different subject. <laughs> so, and I know that for me, I need to let my I let I need to let my mind have a break, and then I can go back and start fresh and be excited about being back at school. Whereas I saw the people who went straight through, they were really, really uh, stressed out. I had a question about acupuncture in general, um, because I know probably like me, uh, a lot of people who are listening don't know a lot about it. And I mean, you hear all these different things about energy channels and meridians and that the needles do this or that, but can you maybe give a bit of a breakdown to like what, what it actually is? Yeah. Um, so what acupuncture is, and I, I'm going to distinguish between acupuncture and oriental medicine, and I'm going to say that acupuncture is a branch of oriental medicine, um, because what you're talking about with acupuncture, specifically using needles and putting them into the body to, to do something, to accomplish something. And... Um, what what we're doing when we use those needles is, yeah, we're using the meridian system of the body, which are those energy pathways that you're that you're talking about, and um, those energy pathways um, are named for twelve organs in the body plus plus two that are that are not named for organs. Um, they mostly flow longitudinally on the body. Um, there are yin channels and, and yang channels, and they, the channels either start or end at the, at the tips of the fingers or the tips of the toes, and then they, they flow either from the core of the body out or they flow from the extremities in, depending on the, on the channel. And the, the way we look at the body is that, um, disease, of any type, whether it's um, a physical disease or a mental disease or, or um, you know, a pain situation, is, ca is caused by the energy not flowing in a balanced way through those channels. So if you had perfect balance in your body, you would have perfect health. And, and the imbalance that we're talking about are... are are not large imbalances. It's a very subtle system. Um, so I think when when we're used to Western medicine, we're used to crisis management, 
and and we're looking at large large imbalances and when we're working with the um, meridian system we can be talking about large imbalances but we can also be talking about very minute imbalances and and the way I think about it is that the energy flow is almost like a and I think this is because I'm coming from an engineering background and it's the easiest way for me to explain it is to think about the energy flow as as electrons you know if you think about it like electricity and that's that's not what it is but it's a great analogy so if you think about um, the wiring that goes from your light switch to your light bulb um, and if you try to flip that switch and the light bulb doesn't come on because you know there's some break in the wiring somewhere um, you have to reconnect that wire so that the energy can flow and get from the from the switch to the light bulb right mm. so the way I look at it is you've got all of these channels flowing and then but you've got um, you've got an interruption in that flow somewhere and we put the needle in and it's like it reconnects it and and allows that flow to continue happening throughout the body and that's hmm. that's not precisely what's happening but that's how I think about it um, because it it's it's an easy concept but that's essentially what's happening is we're we're using the points to balance the energy of the body and you can do that by um, you put the needle into the body and you can either disperse energy or you can cultivate energy through that point does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. So is, is that chi? Is the energy considered yes. chi in oriental yes. medicine? Yes, yes, it's chi. And there are there are many, many, many different types of chi, um, both inside and outside the body. Um, but the chi that circulates through the channels is called the the real chi. This is the like uh, in Chinese, it's the zhen qi. Hmm. Uh, do the uh, the needles have to be made of a certain material? Like, are they conductive? Um, Does it matter? It depends. So now most needles are surgical steel okay. um, because of cleanliness sure. issues and everything. But you can you can buy gold needles and you can buy silver needles, and those are um, the traditional metals that are used to either disperse or to cultivate energy. So if you want to cultivate energy, let's say you have a patient who's really deficient um, and they're just weak, you would use gold needles on that weak person. But if you had somebody who's in pain, you would use the silver needles because you want to disperse that, that pain because pain is caused by the energy not being able to move. So I guess in, in lieu of that, if you're using surgical steel, they're neutral. Oh, so, so it's kind of like this intent come into play then? Yes, okay. absolutely. Intent comes comes into play significantly. And um, for me, that's one of the most difficult parts of the medicine because I get too much in my head, I think also because of the engineering training. And mm. I'm constantly having to try to get out of my head and into my body and to be, you know, thinking about exactly what it is that I'm trying to accomplish when I'm when I'm needling people and and really connecting to them through the needle and and practitioners who are true masters of acupuncture can do amazing things with with just like 
one needle, mm-hmm. whereas you know the rest of us have to use more needles to accomplish the same thing. Okay. And it's because they they really can cultivate their own chi in a way to connect and and go through the needle into somebody's body mm-hmm. and accomplish a change. And plus, they're they're connecting to that person's chi with the, with the needle, and they they can feel it. Yeah. And and they get a lot more information from that connection than than I do. So, sure. but that's, you know, that's that's the goal. Sure. You know, it's fascinating. I, I, I guess uh, if I play devil's advocate for sure. a second, when I hear chi as like kind of a John or Jane Doe, I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. But, um, but that's actually why I I kind of avoid using the oh, word okay. chi sure. with people before I know what side of the fence they're on. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. Because I I I don't like starting from a defensive mm-hmm. place because I feel like I so often have to defend what I do as not quackery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Imagine that's difficult. Yeah. So you would probably use I mean anecdotal examples like uh, my girlfriend has come and been mm-hmm. treated by you and mm-hmm. uh, you know, she had incredible results yeah. that she hadn't been able to get with any other types of treatment. So. Uh, it worked really well, yeah. but it was one of those things where yeah, you see it working, and then you have to wonder, you know, how does it work, and what else yes. can you do as somebody who's not immersed in it? Yes, yes, and I think uh, you know I was listening to a podcast actually just on um, Tuesday, uh, and it was a uh, it's a really interesting episode. And this guy was I can't remember his name, but he, he the n- name of the episode was "The Issues Are in Your Tissues." Mm-hmm. And and he was talking about um, cultivating. Um, oh, he had a great name for it, and I can't remember what it was. But basically, cultivating your own awareness within your body and and learning how to feel things from um, kind of an objective place. And I feel like that's from from all the work that I had to do with my allergies and then crossing over into acupuncture I feel like that's one of the tools that you can develop through through studying acupuncture but also from receiving the treatments because that's like because I got treatments for like five years before I went to school and I felt like I had a huge advantage over somebody who was coming in and they hadn't really gotten a lot of acupuncture treatments because you start to f- feel things happening yeah. during the treatments. Not everybody, but like if you're open to it, and I think if you're sensitive to your body, like if you're willing to be in your body, which some people aren't, yeah, um, you can you can start to have really interesting experiences because of the needles, and sure. I think that um, starts to create a really um, basic framework of of what's happening without even studying it sure like how to think about what you feel in your body yeah and i think it it allows you to um connect to the fact that there is an energetic component to the body that science is not um able to talk about because you can't take a picture of it and you can't measure it because And there's a really wonderful book that I'm, I'm reading right now very slowly, and it's called The Spark in the Machine. And it's written by a guy who's 
an embryologist and an acupuncturist, fully trained both sides. Mm-hmm. And he's the book is about trying to connect how acupuncture works in terms of Western medicine. And I'm only maybe like 80 pages into it because every page blows my mind and I have to let it soak in for a little while. And um, his whole thing so far, 80 pages in, is the fascia. And mm-hmm. and the concept that it's not just, you know, these individual pieces, but it's one giant structure and that it's used for organization in the body and that there's a communication system that, that goes along the fascia. And... I'm assuming that what he's going to say is that that those, if you could map it out, that would be the meridian system. Okay, yeah. Well, that actually, yeah. it's interesting you bring that up. Last week we were talking about light therapy, uh-huh. and uh, that uh, collagen is actually a conductive tissue. Mm. Um, and maybe you guys can help refresh my memory on what uh, what Elliot referred to it as. It's, it's like a liquid crystal. A crystalline yeah, structure. Yeah. Crystalline structure. I was actually yeah. reading something similar last night where the author was talking about fascia and it was actually the book that Elliot recommended. And I think it's called Energy Medicine and Human Performance by James Oshman. And he was talking mm. about the fascia and how in acupuncture there's a lot of theories that the main meridians in acupuncture are just like the information superhighways for energy mm-hmm. and it's all yeah. connected to the fascia and it branches all throughout so the body can have pretty much instantaneous communication between the cells yeah. without having to go through the nervous system or rely yes. on hormones or things like that. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, and the main channels in acupuncture are just the ones that we talk about most often, but there's also Luo channels and divergent channels and cutaneous channels and sinew channels. So there's like I forget how many layers, I shouldn't probably say that, but I don't remember how many layers of channels that there are um, in the body, but we we talk about the primary channels most often because that's where the points are located. But we might be treating you based on a Luo channel or based on a sinew channel, you know, depending on how you're presenting on the table at the time. Yeah, the one thing that uh, Katie had her mind kind of blown by, uh, Correct me if I have this wrong, but she said because her issue was in her shoulder, but you had put needles in her foot. Yeah. And then it helped. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I thought that was really very interesting. I know. I think she was also really surprised because I think her issue is on her right shoulder, and I didn't put any needles in her whole right side of her body. We only treated the left side of the body. And it was cool because um, I like that because when you have an issue that you know um, feels a certain way when you move, that body part then if you're not needling that body part you can still move it and I could so I what I was doing with her was I would needle a couple of points and say all right try to move your arm Mm. and she would Mm. say oh you know yeah it's better but now I'm feeling the pain more specifically in this place and then we would put in a needle for that place and then she'd move it again and we basically kept going through that that process until she had no pain at all in that shoulder. Yeah, it was crazy because that was it persisting was. for a while for like a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, like the ideal really, situation. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was just going to say I find I find it very interesting that you kind of brought up the like the Western medicine sort of approach to this stuff and how it's very difficult to kind of reconcile these two approaches. 
And I've found that, I don't know if, if you have an opinion on this or not, but I've found that a lot of times what I read um, in more mainstream uh, type uh, you know, websites or what have you, um, they kind of are always trying to explain from a, a Western kind of mechanistic perspective of how acupuncture actually works. So it seems like a lot of them are, are willing to accept that it does, which is already a big yeah. step, I think. But, yes. um, you know, there was a Mercola article not, not too long ago that was talking about, you know, a mechanism for it and it had to do with nitric oxide and all these other kinds of things. And I'm not, you know, necessarily dis- dismissing that, but it just seems like there is like a real reluctance to kind of, um, you know, look at things from the actual perspective of the people who have been practicing it for thousands of years. So I, yes. I don't know if you yes. have a, a comment on that at all. I agree completely. And I think it's because, you know, we're raised in a culture where science is our religion, whether we want to admit it or not. You know, mm-hmm. you might you might identify as, you know, Christian or um, Muslim or whatever. But I feel like if you've been raised in a Western culture, then your true religion is science. Because mm-hmm. if you're not, if you're not, you know, if it's not being proved, if science doesn't tell you that it exists, then it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Unless it's, you know, maybe unless it's something actually within your 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 religion. But um, I feel like if we can't take a picture of it, it, you know, we don't really think it exists, and we're we're terrified that we're being sold snake oil, mm-hmm. and. And I went through my own experience of having to reconcile that within myself while I was in school, even though I had had amazing experiences, you know, receiving acupuncture and I was learning how it worked. I still had that, like, all right, I'm not a sucker for doing this, right? Like, this really is a thing, right? And I was, um, I had dated an astrophysicist for five years and, and that was a huge, thing of like I, I you know I just come out of that relationship you know halfway through acupuncture school and so I had all this like really intense science framework not only from my own education but from interacting with him so um, closely because we would talk about this and I didn't have answers for him and he wasn't trying to tell me that what I was doing wasn't real he just liked to play devil's advocate and he liked to get me thinking about it and and I didn't like that I didn't know how to explain it and so through talking with him about you know astronomy and and cosmology and all of those things you know there's that whole um great unification theory i'm not sure if i'm if that's the right name but that a lot of the astronomers and astrophysicists are trying to figure out like can they have like one unifying theory that explains everything Mm -hmm. and you know like string theory comes out of that and and I started thinking about that one night and, you know, just trying to, you know, make that place in my body feel more calm. And, and I started thinking about, like, how, you know, with string theory and, and all of these other things, they have to have, like, 12 or I don't remember how many dimensions they have to have in order to make all the math work out. And, you know, if we think about it, like, we experience life um, you know, on average with, with our four dimensions, we have, you know, three-dimensional space plus time. 
And so if we were comfortable with those four dimensions and they have to have 12 or whatever to, you know, try to make the math work for their unified theory, what's happening on those other dimensions? What is that? You know, and then I started to think, well, what are the other things that we know exist but we can't see, like thoughts and emotions and, um, you know, we do know that there is a communication that can happen between people that, you know, you don't have to say anything, but you just know and it can be, like, across the world, and you just know that something happened to somebody that you care about, or, you know, you just feel it in the air. Well, that information has to be transmitted somehow. And and for me, it was comforting to think about, like, how science has this thing that they don't necessarily want to acknowledge that they have these 12, 12 dimensions that they can't show actually exist. And maybe that's where maybe that's where this stuff is happening is how, how I decided for myself. And that's maybe not going to be a satisfying answer for anybody but me, but it was, it was comforting to me to look at it that way. Uh, what is, so I guess, uh, sort of a digression. What, what is the weirdest thing that you've seen acupuncture be effective on? Oh, <laughs> and I know weird is a really vague word, but like, Something where you would be like, no way, I can't believe that worked. Um, I realize, I mean, like, I don't want you to, you know, like, I know that you're not shooting in the dark when you're doing acupuncture. Right. I'm curious. <laughs> no. Like, any surprises that. Yeah. Um, yeah. A few things pop into my head. Um, while I was in school, um, there was another student who was getting um, treatments from the woman who started our school. And so I was working with her that day and um oh no this sorry this this patient wasn't a student this was just a public patient and this was a person who had um and I hadn't seen this person before so I didn't know their I didn't know their backstory so it was all surprised to me when they were talking about it. apparently this person had like big tumors hmm. and um his doctor I think it was he anyway the doctor wanted to either go in and operate or wanted to do chemo or, you know, traditional cancer treatment. And this person had been instead seeing my teacher. And on the day that I was working with them, um, the person had said, like, yeah, I just got my new scan and all my tumors are gone. And my doctor was, my doctors were really mad. And (laughs) they wanted to know... They wanted to know what I was doing and why were my tumors gone. And I was shocked. I'm like, what do you mean they were mad? Yeah. What kind of doctors are these? Yeah. You know, shouldn't they be, like, really excited and be like, oh, my God, what did you do? How yeah. can I get all my other patients to do that? So yeah. that was really a shock because I was just like, what? You made the tumors go away? Yeah. How does that happen? Yeah, well, how long do I have to do this before I learn how to make tumors go away? <laughs> can I learn how to make tumors go away? Or is she just like a magic elf? Sure. And that's never something that I'm going to be able to do. <laughs> All those things are possible. So that was that was pretty incredible. How how like how old was the that the practitioner who could do that? Like had been doing it for oh. a long time. I oh think. yeah, she'd yeah. been doing it for six, 60 years. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, wow. she started. She started training when she was six. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. She, yeah. Wow. But I mean, that's what, that's how it used to work in China. You know, she, she, um, I mean, there's a lot of misinformation also, mm. I feel like, 
in when you're talking about a lot of these things, but she, yeah, she, I don't know if she became a Taoist monk at six mm-hmm. or whatever, but I don't, I don't know exactly how it works, but I know she started training at six mm-hmm. and, you know, her family was either connected to the Taoist temple that she lived at mm-hmm. or they just gave her to them. Sure. I'm not sure how that works. Well. But then partway through her training was when the whole communist takeover was happening. And so she, her teacher was the 63rd generation Taoist celestial master. Who's like basically the Pope of Taoism. And he told her that she had to leave China and become the bridge between the East and the West for Taoism or, or, Taoist medicine, sure. I'm not really sure. And so that's why she went to Hawaii because it was basically a physical yeah. bridge between the two. Wow. And um, yeah, her, her story is incredible. And I wish I knew how much of it was real and how much of it was kind of, you know. Legend. Yeah, exactly. Legend. So um, she's a very, very, very interesting woman. I saw her do a lot of really cool things. Well, it was something like the communist revolution where everything got turned completely upside down, you know, and records were destroyed. And yeah. I, I'm sure that there were some really fascinating well, A lot of people, a lot of people got killed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what happened to her teachers. Yeah. They, you know, a lot of the religious leaders were, were murdered. Sure. Sure. And then just like destroyed all that information. Yeah. 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 Cause they, they had too much power. Well, um, but more more funny thing, going back to your question about what's a weird thing that I've seen acupuncture help. Um, I had a patient a couple of years ago. We were working on, I think, PMS maybe. Yeah, she had um, big mood swings. And so I was working on her mood swings. And she came back and she was like, I don't know if what you were doing could possibly have done this. But she said... I've been having really good orgasms since, <laughs> since getting treatments. And I just want to say, like, if anything that you've been doing could have done that, like, keep it up. <laughs> and so I was like, <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, I mean, that's totally possible because it's all connected. Sure. It wasn't something that I was trying to work on, but um, <laughs> that was, that made me feel really good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think you probably just got yourself a bunch more patience. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yeah. can you walk us through like a typical session that you have with your patients, like from when they walk in the door? Like, do you take like all their history and all that? And um, like, how do you place the needles? When I think of acupuncture, I've never had it. When I think of mm. acupuncture, I picture people with just putting the needles in and then just sitting there and watching <laughs> them do their magic. But then I've seen some videos where, like, the practitioners will kind of wiggle the needle around. And then I've read that some apply, like, electrical stimulation or heat or something to the needles. What do you do, like, from beginning to end with a typical patient? I want to okay. add a little, a little to that, too. Is there a difference between people who are open to it? Like, so if you have a patient that believes in it already, like, would you approach them differently than somebody who just got a recommendation and came in and was, like you were saying, kind of devoted to the 
medical science aspect. So I know that's a lot of questions. But. <laughs> oh, but that, those are really those are really really good questions. So um, yeah, my typical process is that I I have intake forms. I try to keep the intake forms really simple because well, it's short because people complain about having to answer too many questions and it taking too long. But any and all information that we can get prior to starting the treatment is really helpful just to kind of see what they're I mean, there's a lot of information that comes from those forms, whether people fill everything out or whether they refuse to fill anything out. That that alone gives you some information, which is which is interesting. Like what people will fill out and won't fill out is is always kind of a source of interest to me. But basically, the intake forms are kind of about like, um, you know, do you have any kind of medical history that I need to know about? And then, like, the second page is all about, like, bodily functions, basically. Like, mm. um, do you feel, in general, hot or cold? How often do you go to the bathroom? Is going to the bathroom a problem for you? Like, either urination or bowel movements. Um, how well do you sleep? Do you sleep through the night? Do you have trouble falling asleep? Do you have trouble staying asleep? Do you have crazy dreams? If you wake up in the middle of the night... When you wake up, is it always the same time? How long are you awake? Do you have trouble going back to sleep after you wake up? Um, and then, like, women's health and um, a little bit about men's health. They don't have as much to, you know, work on usually, but sometimes if that's why somebody's coming in or, you know, it can be applicable to, you know, other issues like back pain um, or digestive issues sometimes. Um, and then, yeah, a big section about pain, like, um, where is it? How often do you have it? Is it constant? Um, does anything help or make it worse? Um, and then I added a part about how willing are you to make lifestyle changes on a 1 to 10? Because so much of what we do is lifestyle-based, and you get a lot of people who come in and who are like, what do you mean I have to do stuff? I'm here. <laughs> You're supposed to do it. And wouldn't that be great if that is how it worked, but it's not. <laughs> so once they give me that stuff, then I, um, this is where whether they are, they've had acupuncture before, or whether they haven't really comes into place is basically after they give me their paperwork and before we go into the treatment room. Because if they have never had acupuncture, um, I like to know, number one, do they have issues with needles? Um, because a lot of people have needle phobias and people who are not open to acupuncture, a lot of it seems to be rooted in the fact that they are really uncomfortable with the needle aspect and they don't want to have needles in their body and they, they're scared it's going to hurt. And I think all, you know, all of that is totally valid because interestingly, a lot of acupuncturists are not comfortable with needles. <laughs> really? And yet, yeah, and yet this is what we do for a living. And um, I think it's hilarious. But so many of us, I think it's because we're so sensitive and, mm. and like, regular medical needles are not fun. Mm. And there's, it's always a problem. Like, I actually really, I need to go do a, uh, give a blood job for my 
doctor and I'm putting it off because I, I hate getting my blood drawn because I hate the needles and I <laughs> don't like blood coming out of my body. And it's just like, I get it. So when they come, when people come in and they're like, I'm really not okay with this. It's, I have a whole spiel that I go through about like how, you know, the needles are really small. First, I kind of ask like, are you somebody where more information is helpful or you really don't want to know and you just want me to tell you that it's not going to hurt? <laughs> and, you know, for people who like information, we talk a lot about how the needle gauge is really tiny. You know, like I, if you guys know anything about needle gauge, um, I generally use 40 gauge needles. They're only, yeah, they're That's like 16, <laughs> 16 hundredths of a millimeter in diameter. And, and they're filiform needles, which means that they are not meant to cut the skin. They're, they're really, really sharp and pointy. And what I like to imagine if I'm, if I'm needling somebody who's really, really, really sensitive is I almost like to try to put my awareness at the tip of that needle and imagine that I can actually, like, see the skin cells and I can see the um, cell membranes. And instead of, like putting the needle directly on one of those skin cells, I like to find kind of like the junction between all the skin cells and try to go like right between them. And it's just a visual practice. It's not actually probably what's happening, but it, it, it makes me feel like I'm really sending a message to their body that I'm not there to hurt it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they get that message um, whether I say it or not. And so um, let's say we have the worst case scenario of somebody who's like really not interested in, in acupuncture, but somebody convinced them to come and they're really needle phobic. So what I do with that person is I tell them that the first thing I tell them, I really like to emphasize that they are in control of the experience and, and they are in control of whatever we do during their treatment, because that's what I like to hear when I'm feeling uncomfortable, I like to hear that I have control over what happens to me because regardless of, of what kind of a practitioner you are, when somebody steps into your treatment room, they're trusting you with their body. And if you're not honoring that, then you're doing them a disservice. And so I like to put that right up front first and say, like, if you are at any time uncomfortable, all you have to do is say the word and we stop. And and if there are needles in and you want them out, we will take them out. And we don't have to ever use needles because I have um, other tools available. So I have um, little seeds on a sticker that I can use instead of a needle. So they don't actually puncture the skin. They just It's like acupressure, and the sticker just holds it on the point. And it's just as effective. It's not as strong, you know. So, like the like the needle, for example, gives the entire um, treatment, I guess, or the it's like a hundred percent effectiveness right away. I mean, after you know, we'll say right away is like the time you retain the needle. Um, whereas the the acupressure with the seed or the magnet that I tape onto the body, that's almost like a time release so it's it's that that entire effectiveness over three to five days instead of in half an hour so 
Um, like, for example, that's all I ever use on little kids. So if I have a child coming in, I don't use needles on them at all. Some people do, and that's fine. Um, when you're needling a, a, a child, you never have them retain the needle. You, you just put it in and you take it right out. Um, but I think with well, the kids that I've worked with anyway, they like the fact that you're doing something to them. It makes them feel really special. And so they like having a little sticker with a little ball in it, and then they can show it to their friends and be like, I'm really cool. I have stickers. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, adults are basically the same way. It's, you know, if you're so sensitive that, and, and the reason we do that with kids is they are so, so, so sensitive that they don't need a full treatment. They change so quickly. Their energy is so sharp that, you know, with people who are, you know, really, really good at working with the energy that, you know, you can just do Qigong medicine on them and probably heal them in a much more effective way than even the, the seed will. But anyway, I put, I put on the seeds and then you just, you can just let them run around, you know, so it doesn't have to be such a long treatment because, you know, they're impatient and they don't like to sit still for the most part. And then it's cheaper for the parents. You just bring them in, you stick them with the stuff, ask them if they feel better, and then they get to go. So mm. it's the same with adults who are uncomfortable. You just put those seeds on, and and I just, but I have them still sit. So, like, let's say I have somebody, first time I've ever seen them, I will try to put a needle in them, but I pick a spot that's that's not as sensitive that almost everybody feels is a spot that feels good to get needled and isn't scary. Um, so it's a place that they are, they have awareness, but it's not a place that they can see for the most part, unless they're somebody who wants to be able to see it. But generally anybody who wants to watch the needle go in is not somebody who's scared of needles. Is it different for everybody? Like some people are like, yeah, go ahead and stick my shoulder. But oh yeah. My knee. yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I always, you know, really emphasize the, you know, maybe, maybe needling your neck will feel okay. And then it might just be like, you just reach a limit and you're like, I can't do anymore. Mm. And that's fine. Mm. Then we just stop. And actually, you know, I had somebody um, like that a uh, couple of, like last month and she was real nervous. And I was like, well, we'll just do a little bit and you just tell me when you're done. And I might feel it and make that call first. But if you make the call first, that's fine. That's, that's the ending point. And she made the call. She was like, yeah, I think I'm done. I was like, cool. And then we just did seeds what uh what are the seeds does it matter or? uh yeah they're um they're a species called vicaria i can't remember that's the genus i can't remember the species i've been saying vicaria sinensis for a long time because i just thought it was like a chinese the chinese vicaria seed but i was actually reading somewhere recently and it was saying it said a different species name and i was like oh i just i guess i made that up <laughs> but it's definitely vicarious seed and it's uh i guess i could go next door and grab one um for you to see but it's maybe like two maybe like a millimeter and a half two millimeters in diameter I remember katie had some after her treatment yeah and uh she had also said that you're supposed to kind of intermittently press on them yeah yourself yeah okay. yeah especially if they're in the ear i like people to really like become friendly with the ear points um and that's multi-purpose one it is to re-stimulate the point and reactivate the treatment and the second is when they're in your ear i want you to make sure that they're all there mm. i don't want you losing mm. any 
into your ear, yeah. <laughs> um, right. your canal, um, which I, as far as I know, I've never had that happen <laughs> with anybody, but. Now, do these seeds, the Vicaria have like a special like property? An energetic property mm -hmm. as well? It's not just the hardness of the right. seed. Right, right. Yeah, so um, in the Chinese pharmacopoeia, what the Vicaria seed does is it moves the blood. And moving the blood moves the chi. And mm. from what I understand, when the, the people who make the, the ears, the, the seeds with the stickers on them, before they put them on the sticker, they soak the seeds in wine mm. and dry mm. them. And so there's like a processing that's involved with the seed to make it even more effective because wine, um, is an, is also a blood mover. So, um, Alcohol does have a medicinal property in small doses. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of herbs actually in Chinese medicine are, are soaked in wine and then dried and, and put into formulas um, to, yeah, and for specific reasons. Um, so that's kind of the worst case scenario. The best case scenario, somebody comes in, they're, they're, they're already good, they've had plenty of acupuncture. The difference that I find with that person, other than the fact that I can needle them freely, I mean, I'm still treating them as I I feel their constitution. So, you you know, it's important for us to assess the person's constitution. Like, you're kind of a big guy, but if I'm taking your pulse and assessing you and you feel really weak, to me, regardless of how you look, I'm going to treat you as that kind of weak right. person and be more gentle, sure. even though you look like a big, strong guy. Sure. Um, and the same might happen with somebody who comes in and they're tiny, but they might be a little tiny powerhouse. Mm -hmm. And so then mm -hmm. you can treat them, you know, more aggressively yeah. um, than you would if you were just looking at them visually. Sure. Um, so the big difference with somebody who's had a lot of acupuncture is that they're open and I don't, you're not having to spend so much time building trust. And I feel like that's what, you know, with the, with the person who's uncomfortable, everything that you're doing is, is just as much for the treatment as it is for trust building mm -hmm. and, and letting them know that they're in, you know, good hands. And I feel like when I have people who get acupuncture elsewhere and say they're on vacation here and they find me or whatever, um, they're just, they're ready. They just, they sure. lie on the table. They're completely open and they're completely comfortable and it makes everything so much easier. Um, because you're not having to constantly reassure them and, and they just allow it to happen. They're not fighting it in their body either. Yeah. Because a lot of what will happen sometimes if somebody is convinced that acupuncture doesn't do anything, they will actively fight it mm -hmm. and not want to let it help their problems, which mm -hmm. is a weird thing to do. But I don't, you know, I don't think they know that they're doing it. It's yeah. just that they're so rigid, I guess. Yeah. I, mean, I don't mm -hmm. actually know how that, I don't yeah. know how that works because it's not, it's not something that I have personal experience with. I've, I've seen it, but I don't do it myself. So I've had a lot of chiropractic done. And it reminds me of that because you really have to relax and trust the chiropractor. So it's important to find somebody who you do trust anyway, who's good at what they're doing. Yes. Because if you're trusting somebody who's not good, then you have a problem. But yes. Um, but yeah, you have to like, especially if you're having anything done, 
like on your neck, you know, or your upper back. Oh, yeah. You have to really relax into it and let them. And let them do exactly what you see in movies is breaking people's necks and killing them. (laughs) 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 That's how I felt the first time I got my neck cracked. I think I was like eight and I cried because I was scared and it made a loud noise and and I was like, it hurt, it hurt. (laughs) It it didn't hurt, but I was just scared. (laughs) So you definitely, if you stiffen up in that moment of fear, then you're not going to get the effective treatment no no and the nice thing about well it was nice for me when I first started getting acupuncture because I was tense and I was I anxious and tense all the time and that's what I wanted the acupuncture to help me with and I would I thought about it as like forced meditation Mm -hmm. because I was basically pinned to a table and if I tried to move it hurt and that was perfect Mm -hmm. for me (laughs) because Mm -hmm. then I had to just like let go and and it just seemed like I I couldn't give myself permission to let go, but the needles would give me permission to let go. Oh, cool. And and then it was like training myself that I could do it without sure. the needles, which was a interesting experience. That brings up a question: uh, mm-hmm. the uh, are there cases in which the needles ever do hurt, or oh yeah, hurt if you move? Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Okay. I that's not what anybody ever wants to hear. Yeah. They everybody wants mm-hmm. to hear that. The needles never feel like anything. That's just fundamentally not true. Um, <laughs> some people don't feel anything. Mm-hmm. And um, those are the people, when you're in school with them, that nobody wants treatments from them. Because, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah, because they're really aggressive needlers, and they don't, since they can't feel it when they needle themselves, they don't think anybody can feel it. Yeah. And so they have a they have a more difficult learning curve than the person who feels everything. Um, so yeah, like I for me, um, I actually tell a lot of my patients that they think you know because a lot of people will be like I'm sorry you know I'm sorry oh you know because they'll jump a little bit mm-hmm. and and I'm constantly reassuring them oh. Don't even worry about it. You should see me get a treatment. <laughs> I'm the worst <laughs> because I know exactly where they're going and I know exactly how it's going to feel. And then I start saying, oh, oh, oh. if you're going to kneel that spot, you have to do it in exactly this way because I'm really super ticklish and I'm really sensitive. And if you don't do it exactly how I tell you to do it, I'm going to, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to try to not kick you. Mm-hmm. And sure. that makes everything more painful. And that goes right back into the trust yeah. because when I'm on the table, I have to acknowledge that I have to trust whoever's needling me. Sure. And um, and it's hard. So like the the places that are painful are are different on everybody, but the the um, the thing that gets you around it is the experience level of the practitioner. Yeah. So there are some points that are just going to be painful, but the more experienced and sensitive your practitioner is, that discomfort is extensively minimalized yeah. because they're working with you and not against you. Sure. And, um, you know, like the, the big, okay, I would say probably guaranteed painful points are on the feet. Okay, sure. And, and the hands and the feet are highly innervated. We know that. And any highly innervated place is going to be more sensitive to getting a, a needle put in it. Yeah. Um, but the most effective points are located on the hands and the feet. Okay. So 
it's very rare to get through a treatment and not have to have one of those places needled, mm-hmm. you know. So um, what's the point of wiggling the needle around or twisting it around? Oh, when you first yes. Put it in there? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Because um, you had asked that and I forgot. So um, when when we're putting the needle in, there's two, there's a few reasons why you wiggle it. Sometimes that's just the practitioner's needling style. So like the way I was taught to put a needle into the body, because I was taught to needle freehand, meaning like without a tube. So a lot of um, schools, like Western schools, um, the needles come with a uh, what's called a guide tube and you put the needle inside the tube and it and it allows you to kind of like put pressure against the skin and then you just pop it in you just kind of like hit the top of the needle and it just shoots it through the tube into the skin and it it just gets it through the skin because the most painful part of needling anybody is going through the skin because that's where all the nerves are and once you get through the skin then it then it's pretty easy um, so the way I was taught is that you, you know, you get it through the skin and then you kind of like wiggle the needle back and forth. You kind of, it's like almost like you're, you're, you're like twisting it. It's like turning a screw. Yeah, but you're not always going the same direction. You're, you're going back and forth. It's, you know, like when you, when, when people are teasing you and they say they're playing the world's tiniest violin, yeah. that <laughs> it's that, it's that kind of emotion or yeah, that kind of, of, of physical motion of, of, you know, putting it into the skin. And, and I think that's just to kind of help it not adhere to anything on its way in. So you're kind of constantly like, it's almost like, uh, trying to make it frictionless. Um, but some points, you know, you don't want to do that because they're in, uh, places where you want to make sure that you're not going to, accidentally bump a nerve because we absolutely don't want to ever needle nerves and that it's not fun it it happens sometimes and you know because like there's a lot of points located along the median nerve on the on the arm and so when you know when somebody says like you know they feel that you, you just take it out and you go back again but once you get the needle into the point there is a manipulation done sometimes and that goes back to when we were talking about wanting to either disperse the energy or cultivate the energy of that point. And so there's um, there's many different types of manipulation to achieve that um, dispersion or cultivation, um, including, you know, twisting it continuously in one direction, or you can kind of like wiggle it back and forth, like in and out, kind of just like a small, small movement. Um, because I went to a Taoist school, we actually learned Taoist charms that we were supposed to basically write with the needle once we got it into the body. And so you're just imagining that that the needle is like a, you know, a paintbrush, I guess. And you're like a Reiki drawing. It looks like Reiki symbols, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know anything about Reiki. So, I mean, I, a similar idea. Yeah. 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 Um, and I really liked that. That was, we were learning those my first semester of acupuncture school when I was still like ultra engineer brain and it was uh it was one of those moments where like we were doing a Taoist medicine weekend where we went camping and we were doing qigong all weekend and I was freaking out like 
not knowing if I was supposed to remember every single part of the Qigong form because it was really long and I had no idea what was going on and I was like, I'm not taking notes. <laughs> and and then my friends were in the back because they were they were uh, the back of the group because they were um, a few semesters ahead of me and this was old hand to them by now and they told me later that they were they were all laughing about how being in acupuncture school is kind of like being at Hogwarts. <laughs> and and it, they said that like right after they said that our teacher was like okay I want you guys to look at the ground and you know we're outside we're on the North Shore we were we were at the um, Boy Scout camp um, if Erica if yes. you remember where that is or right across from Dillingham um, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um, and so and I remember this she says like look down I want you guys to find a a stick. And we're all like, what are we doing? And then she has us pick up the stick, and then we started drawing the, the, the charms in the air with the sticks like they were our wands. And, and it was just like this hilarious moment of like, oh, my God, we just crossed over. We actually are at Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had potion class and everything. <laughs> So what about applying electricity or oh yes something to yes yes thank you um, again since I went to a Tao school we did not um, do a lot of eSIM um, my teacher was actually really against it she thinks that eSIM electronics yeah 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 thank you um, she thinks that um, there should be no external um, source of electricity going into the body that the because the heart is so important and you shouldn't be adding any new electricity because you know you you're gonna mess up the electricity that's inherent in the heart. Yeah, that makes sense um, to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes sense to me. But I've had eSTEM and there were there were students who you know decided that they were gonna you know go rogue and and study it mm -hmm. on their own and they got really interesting results on a lot of things. Like there was a woman who I was in school with and she got really into the e-stim and she was specifically using it to um, uh, rebuild bone tissue. So she had a patient who had a broken arm and she would needle on either side of the break and she would needle to the bone and then send the e-stim through it. And, and um, I guess that, woman's arm healed in like record time it was crazy wow. and so she was also telling me about using e-stim specifically for issues like um uh, arthritis and she actually took her e-stim machine to the dentist and hooked herself up so that she didn't have to have um anesthesia for oh, for wow. dental procedures wow. yeah crazy. so and it, it was effective. Yeah, well. yeah, it was totally effective, and that's how they do it in China. Hmm. Um, they'll do e-stim and do. They've done open heart surgery with. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, Whoa. I saw that. Whoa. Yeah, wow. yeah. The lady was awake. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah, I would not want to be awake. <laughs> yeah. I have a really bad vasovagal response. I would. That would be awful yeah. for me. But um, so yeah. I think there is a time and a place and a, uh, for eSTEM. I think it's very effective. I don't personally know how to do it, and it hasn't been something that I have felt um, motivated to learn. Right now, there's just there's so many things 
to learn and I'm so excited about all of them that but like Easton just hasn't been high on my list but the heat heat is very fun and heat I do use so we use an herb called um, moxa um, it's um, uh, Artemisia vulgaris is the is the species and it's it's a it's a very common weed that grows everywhere. I've got it in my backyard here. I think it grows in, on all land surfaces. I'm pretty sure. I don't know if it, if you could find it in the Arctic, for example, but um, it grows here. So it's it's probably it's definitely in Canada, sure. um, and it definitely grows in the tropics. So it is a very widely spread common herb. You and like a no, you make a, um, you make a, they call it a wool. So you, you take the leaves and I'm not sure if the leaves and the flowers or, you know, just the leaves or just the flowers. I think there's a lot of different grades of moxa. So, um, probably depending on which grade, if you get like a lower, cheaper grade, they, they might have like everything in there. I don't know if they use the stems or not, but Basically, if you want to make your own, you take the leaves and you dry it and you just grind it up in a Vitamix or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it makes this wool and you kind of like sift the dirt out of it. And then you can keep keep grinding it up and sifting and grinding up and sifting it. And it makes this fluff, basically. Mm -hmm. And then how you use that fluff is, is um, high. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to use it. So... Um, in Japanese acupuncture, they get like the ultra fine grade moxa and it's called rice, rice grain moxa because you can actually take a tiny little pinch of it and they roll it into a, a like a, like a twist that's maybe about the height of a piece of sushi rice mm -hmm. and they put it right on the skin and they light it and then, um, and it just burns right to your skin and then they touch it with their finger. Whoa. And, and that's called direct moxa. And in China, because Japanese people are very sensitive and they, they like very gentle sensations. Um, Chinese people, or their culture anyway, not like that. They will take a moxa cone that's maybe like the diameter of your thumbnail and put it right on the skin and give you a big old mm. blister. And that's oh, a, geez. that's a good treatment. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's like, that's really good treatment. It's pretty wild when you mentioned heat. I was thinking like heat and moisture, like a hot rag kind of, mm, you know, like, like something mm, like, mm, a, mm. like that, but I didn't think fire, actual fire. Yeah, actual fire. fire. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's direct moxa, like the kind of Japanese style, and then there's the more Chinese style, which is not for Americans unless you want to get sued. <laughs> um um, but you could also do direct, like kind of an indirect moxa where you can either put like a slice of ginger between the skin and the moxa, or you can use salt sometimes, or you can use a combination of things. And some people have like liniments and balms that they will put on the skin to keep people from being burned and scarred. Um, and what I like to do is indirect moxa, either holding a moxa roll, which is basically you take that fluff and you roll it like a cigarette. And so you can have them that are, you can have big fat cigarettes that are like cigars more like because they're, you know, close to an inch in diameter and they're, and they're maybe about a foot long. And then you have 
other ones that are smaller and look more like um, cigarettes. And the the cigarette size ones are like a finer grade of moxa, and the cigars are usually a lower grade moxa, and they each have use. So it's not like the lower grade is bad; it just has a different use. I tend to use the higher grade because it doesn't smell as much and because I'm in an office environment and I'm in a new office. At least I have windows, but I definitely stink up the whole floor. <laughs> so I don't know if you could smell it when you got off the elevator. I didn't notice, no. Oh, yeah, but um, people will sometimes be like, oh, I thought maybe there was a medical marijuana place <laughs> up here, you know, and I'm like, it's totally a different smell, but I get it. It smells like burning. Um, so what I like to do is either hold that that moxa cigarette above the skin, and and you can you, you you move it in a specific way depending on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. But you're warming the skin um, that where a point is um, to affect a you know the energy of that point. And then the other thing that I really like to do is called warm needle moxa, and that means like you've put a needle into the body and you take a little bit of that moxa fluff and you kind of pinch it together and you put it on the end of the needle and then you light that on fire and it warms the handle of the needle and it goes right into the body and like that feels so good like I've never done that to anybody and had them be like I didn't like that everybody's like everybody's like that feels great and I'm like "Hmm." cool yeah and it's really it's really nice on people who like let's say you have like a tense like a tense back, like you could have like a knots in your neck or, or like a sore lower back or something. But let's say it's something where if you put heat on it, it feels better. Mm. Um, then moxa is fantastic for any of those issues. You can use moxa to cool people down too, but it's, it's a different technique. Mm. Um, and so like, I really, I feel like it's so effective up here when it's like raining or snowing and you've got people who are just cold yeah. and then you warm those needles up or you have people who are just deficient and they don't, they, they might not be a cold person, but they just don't have enough energy to move yeah. what needs to be moved. And then the moxa helps that, helps that, you know, move that motive sure. force cool. and also warms them up and helps them relax and all kinds of stuff. Cool. Yeah. We did have a question in the chat that if Mox is wormwood? Wormwood, yes. um, uh, It can be. So, yeah, wormwood is a a variety of the Artemisia genus. And, um, yeah, depending on how you make it, there's there's a lot of different recipes for, for Moxa. You can have straight Moxa, which is only the Artemisia vulgaris, or you can have... You have some people who make formulas, basically, that are moxa, and you can put things in it, like sandalwood. You could put wormwood in it. You could put, um, you know, different uh, different herbs that are going to really, like, make it even warmer, like, like like cinnamon. Or you can add herbs that have a um, uh, an action of getting rid of dampness or phlegm, um, which is a whole big subject in and of itself but depending on what it is that you're trying to do with the moxa you can adjust the formula of the of the herbal mix that you're using in order to have a better effect and so yeah sometimes moxa can be wormwood but i would say it's not ever only wormwood Mm -hmm. 
Hmm. Elizabeth, I had a question for you. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, oh and, um, if you don't mind, just uh, pulses, if it's not too long of a story. Oh, yeah. Can you talk about the difference yeah. how you can read pulses. And yeah, out? yeah, that goes back to the, like the, um, the general treatment. Yeah, that's really important. So we feel the pulse and we look at the tongue um, before we put any needles into the body. And, and the pulse is very different in Chinese medicine than it is in Western medicine. So we feel the pulse on both arms. We're feeling the radial pulse at the, at the wrist. And so what we're feeling for is six different organs on each wrist. And there are roughly 30 different pulse images that we can feel. Um, and to become a master of the pulse takes many years. So, you know, I was in school for four years. I've been out of school for uh, seven years. And I feel like I'm only just starting to really understand the pulse. And um, I'm looking forward to the day where I am a pulse master. But the practitioners who are pulse masters, they won't even ask you what's going on with you. You come in, you pay them for treatment, they take your pulse, and then they start telling you what's going on. They don't want to hear your story because you're not reliable. <laughs> um, because, you know, you, you have your own ideas of what's happening, but yeah. they know what's happening from feeling your pulse. And I used to see my teacher do that. Mm -hmm. She would feel somebody's pulse, and she'd be like, you didn't take your herbs, and you've <laughs> been smoking. And they'd be like, what? <laughs> and you'd just see, like, these people just turn into little kids in front of her because she'd start scolding them. You've been a bad boy, you know? <laughs> and it was just it was hysterical. But, so, yeah, I, when I feel the pulse, I'm feeling for, on the, on the right wrist, if you were to put your three first, uh, first three fingers on your, on your right wrist, if the middle finger was kind of, right over the styloid process. So if you're, you, you're curling your three fingers from your left hand over, yep. the, over the back of your right wrist. Yep, feeling, yeah. yep. So like with my fingers coming uh, forward over the thumb side of the wrist yeah. um, and the index fingers basically just below the wrist crease where the, where the palm meets the wrist mm -hmm. and then the um, other two fingers are just comfortably next to each other. Mm -hmm. So the index finger is feeling the lung and large intestine pulse. So the lung pulse is deep and the large intestine pulse is superficial. The middle finger feels the stomach pulse superficially and the spleen pulse deep. And spleen is just a, is a more of a combination of the spleen and the pancreas. Um, and then the ring finger is feeling the yang aspect of the kidney as well as the and that's deep and then there's also the um, pericardium and some people read the pericardium and another organ that's called the sanjiao in and that ring finger pulse and the sanjiao is not a an organ that has a physical counterpart it's it's uh energetic organ yeah it's an energetic organ um so how do you when uh, obviously you said this takes many years but mm -hmm. so you're telling with these three fingers each one feels a different pulse yeah you yeah have to be careful not to like block the blood flow and, right and lie to the other finger right kind of, yeah. right so it, yeah the pulse reading is not something that i do quickly mm -hmm. so it that's probably 
one of the slowest things that I do. And so I, I will kind of get a general read for it with all fingers at the same time. And so you kind of start superficially. This is what I do and everybody does it differently. I'm sure. Um, I kind of start superficially like when, how much do I have to press into the wrists in order to feel a pulse? And then, so I figure like that's, that's kind of like the, the top of the pulse. And then I push all the way in and how deep can I feel the pulse? And then I kind of come back up and where does the pulse come back in? And then I start feeling with each finger individually because you will feel different things hmm. with each finger and, and, and you'll maybe feel something like a very soft pulse. And then maybe, maybe the next one will be very wiry. Um, and maybe it'll be wiry on the surface, but when you push in, it'll be scattered and, and diffuse and, and, and you'll lose that sensation of an actual blood vessel. And sometimes you'll have a pulse that's just rock hard all the way through and bounding and full. Mm -hmm. Um, and then other times you have a pulse where you're like, where is it? How are you? How did you even get here today? Yeah. Because well, you don't I had an experience have, like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they so we're, said you're basically dead. Yeah. <laughs> Energetically. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's amazing to me because some of those people who have the, the super minute pulse that's, that's so hard to find and feel, I'll ask them and they'll have high blood pressure. And I'm like, what? <laughs> how do you have high blood pressure? There's hardly even anything getting here. I don't know how that works. Um, and so, yeah, you're feeling for the, the speed of the pulse, the, the, the depth of the pulse, the quality of the pulse, and they, they can all combine, you know. And so you have those 30 images, and they turn into a whole mess of things. And, and one of the issues when, when you're going to school, because you only have four years, you might never, you might not feel all 30, oh, sure. you know, while you're in school because you can only work with what comes through the door. Yeah. And, and that's a tricky thing. So I, I definitely feel pulses here that I never felt in Hawaii. Yeah. And, um, I don't know if it's goes, if, if there's anything that I felt in Hawaii that I don't, haven't felt here. Um, I just don't remember that well. Um, and so then if we go to the left wrist and we do the same, thing and have our right fingers curl over the back side of the left wrist then the index finger is feeling the small intestine superficially and the heart deep the gallbladder um, and liver are on the on the index or on the middle finger gallbladder is superficial and the liver is deep and then the ring finger is the yin aspect of the kidney deep and the bladder the urinary bladder superficially and so you can often have the right and the left be different totally different mm -hmm. so i have a woman whose right pulse is barely perceptible mm -hmm. and and her left pulse used to be barely perceptible but we've been working on her constitution and it's slowly building and I can feel it. And now she comes in, I'm like, you have a pulse. And she's really excited. <laughs> I was going to ask that. Do you ever notice like where you'll do it, feel a pulse, do a treatment. And then like in the same day it's changed. Oh yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm about to get to. So the pulse changes instantly. Oh, pulse okay. changes really quickly. So if like, if you were getting a treatment, for example, we were taking your pulse and I, you know, I made all my notes and I I'm checking it and I decide what I'm going to do. I'll put in the first couple of needles and then I'll go back and check the pulse. Did those needles do what I wanted mm -hmm. done? Because the pulse you can really use as like a roadmap cool. um, to 
affect what what you're doing with the needles because sometimes what happens is I feel the pulse and I get a picture of what's happening and I treat that pattern and I come back and there's a different pattern now mm -hmm. expressing in the pulse and it's not balanced yet because what we're trying to do with the treatment is balance the pulse. We want to, we want to get all of the energy balanced in the body and if something else comes up, well then depending on how many needles I use to treat the first pattern, I may still be able to treat the second pattern and not feel like I'm trying to do too much in the body. And sure. sometimes I might just have to wait on that second pattern sure. or maybe do, maybe I'll, that's a time when I might do um, the seeds instead yeah. if I don't want to use any more needles. Sure. Um, and then when we look at the tongue, the tongue changes really slowly compared to the pulse. So the tongue will change over the course of a day or weeks or, or months, even depending on, what pattern is showing on the tongue. And so when we look at the tongue, we're looking visually at something, which, again, for me coming from from geology, you know, you're trained constantly to look at things. Mm -hmm. So the visual aspect was so easy for me. I could see way more detail than I knew what to do with in the tongue. So you're looking at, like, the tongue body color initially. And so that's, like, when you stick your tongue out, what color is it? Um, and sometimes if you have a thick coating on the tongue, you can't necessarily see the body color of the tongue and you have to kind of look to the sides or something like that. So that gets us into tongue coating. We're looking at the coating of the tongue. Do you have one? What color is it? Where is it? Does it cover the whole tongue? Is it only in one little patch? Maybe your tongue looks like it's been scraped everywhere, but one little patch. Mm. Um, uh, what is the shape of the tongue? So that seems like a funny question at first until you start looking at people's tongues and you realize there's a lot of variety out there. Sure. How thick or thin is it? Um, is it pointy when they stick it out? Does it stick out to one side? Um, are there little scallops on the sides where you can see where their teeth have indented the tongue? Mm -hmm. All of those things are significant. And then you can look at the underside of the tongue. You have people just kind of like touch the roof of their mouth with the tongue and you look at the sublingual veins and that can tell you um, more information. Like if the sublingual veins are purple and distended, which mine usually are, um, it means that you're, you have a lot of stagnation in your body. And I'm a, I tend to be a stagnant person. Like I, I need a lot of exercise to make sure that everything is moving around in my body. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't always make time for that exercise. Um, or sometimes you'll see them be really, really red. That person has a lot of heat. Maybe they're, maybe they're kind of white and distended, or maybe they just look distended and kind of weird and gray, mm -hmm. you know, and all of those things are significant and kind of play into kind of like more of the long-term pattern of the body. What's, what's, what's been going on for a long time, yeah. whereas the pulse might be like, oh, um, you just saw a car accident happen on your drive here, and so your pulse is going to be, like, kind of freaking out, yeah. and then your tongue might show something completely different. Sure. Um, sometimes the tongue and the pulse line up, but a lot of times they don't. So you should remind our listeners, don't go and try to diagnose yourself by looking at your tongue. Yes. <laughs> yeah, don't diagnose yourself, but I do like to tell people that it's a great thing to get to know on yourself, sure, totally, you know, yeah. so if you want to look at your tongue, the best time to do it is first thing in the morning, 
before you brush your teeth, before you have any water, before you eat anything. Just, like, stumble out of bed and then go look in the mirror at your tongue. And that kind of tells you, like, this is what you're working with for the day. Sure. So if your tongue looks, like, fresh and pink and, like, there's a thin white coating on it and there's no weird shapes or anything, you're doing really good. That's, like, a perfect tongue. <laughs> but I never see, I never see that. <laughs> um not even when I look in the mirror. My tongue tends to be kind of pale. I usually have, like, a lot of redness at the tip of my tongue. And the tip of the tongue is the heart. The very, very, very tip of the tongue is the heart. Just behind the heart is the lungs. On the sides of the tongue are the liver and gallbladder. The center of the tongue is the stomach and spleen pancreas. And then the root of the tongue is showing you your intestines, your bladder, and your kidneys. And, um, so that redness at the tip of my tongue is because I like to stress myself out, (laughs) whether it's physically or emotionally, or I like to overcommit or whatever, you know, and you get to kind of know your patterns, you know? So when I stick out my tongue and I see some kind of redness at the tip, I'm like, yeah, that's me. You know, I don't need to worry about it, but if I wanted to like put in a couple of seeds for myself for the day that's not a bad idea um but i don't generally have a coating on my tongue because i i don't sleep really well um so that shows me that my yin is constantly being depleted that that thin white coating tells you that your body body fluids are healthy and that your digestion is working well. And I, I don't have either of those things going for me um, on an average basis. Um, but let's say I get up in the morning and I see like a thick coating on my tongue. Oh, well, then I know something's off because I know what my normal is and I can I can see this difference. And that may or may not be something that you as a layperson could do anything about, but you could notice something's different and maybe just try to pay a little bit of attention, think about what you did last night, did you eat, like, a whole bucket of ice cream? That'll give you a big, thick coating on your tongue. Um, but it's really fun to watch your tongue over the course of a day and see what what does happen. Like, you have your morning cup of coffee, and then you look at your tongue. Do you have a big brown coating on your tongue? Does it look more red? Um, does it look dry? You know, it's just it's just an interesting way to get information as long as you're not trying to self-medicate. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, or think you have cancer because right. your tongue is red. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cancer doesn't doesn't usually show up on the tongue. Yeah. I see, like I can see with the you know, especially with how a lot of people treat, and I'm guilty of this too, but treat like WebMD and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That learning, you know, other methods like this, they would immediately start freaking out about every little yeah sign that comes up. You know? Yeah, yeah. Some... You run into that with your patients. Not very often. I mean, I have a couple who do that. Actually, one of my my best friend, her, I guess my the the couple is my best friend. Um, so he is a huge self medicator, and he knows a little, just enough to be dangerous, mm-hmm. I would say. And I might I might send him the a link to this show, and, and he's. I'll get a little bit in trouble for calling him out like this, but um, he has been making himself an herbal tea for years and he puts all these things in it. And I'm like, ah, I 
just don't feel like that's something you should be doing. You know, I mean, it's great to make yourself your own herbal tea, but maybe keep it simple and sure. switch it up every once in a while. But he makes this, like, he puts all these kind of strong herbs in this tea and then he drinks it all the time. And he actually turned his tongue black. Whoa. And it's a, kind of a big deal. Whoa. And it's hard to know why it turned black because he's in Hawaii and, and I'm here and I don't get to kind of, I don't, I don't see what he's doing on a daily basis anymore. And so I talked to his wife and we were talking about like, hey, maybe he should stop taking that tea <laughs> and, you know, let his body re-regulate for a while. And, um, and I, I think he has been starting to do that a little bit, which I'm very glad for. Mm -hmm. And then we can talk about maybe what's, what's actually happening in his body and, mm. So yeah, it's kind of like throwing a bunch of flammable stuff. In yeah, 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 yeah. So what about those Good. tongue scrapers? Is that a legitimate um, practice, or is that you know you? See I don't know. Else? Yeah, I don't know much about it. I actually got a treatment um, on Wednesday from my my boyfriend's sister is also an acupuncturist, and she's in town visiting, and and I pestered her for a treatment. And, and she was asked, she was looking at my tongue and she said, you know, do you scrape your tongue? And I say, well, you know, I brush it with my toothbrush. And she was like, Liz, that's not good for you. And I said, <laughs> what do you mean? And she says, you know, that you're with the brush, you're like, you're pushing it into your tongue. And that's like stuff that you don't, you don't want on your tongue. And you're, you're supposed to use one of the scrapers. And I'm like, I feel weird about the scraper. <laughs> I don't really know. I feel way more weird about the scraper than I feel about gently brushing my tongue with my toothbrush when I finish brushing my teeth. I, I don't really know about the scraper or brushing the tongue or, or just letting it be. The way I was taught is that whatever you're doing, whether you're scraping it or you're brushing it or you leave it alone, it's going to come back. So like, let's say you have a big, nasty, thick, greasy coating on your tongue and you scrape it off in the morning with your tongue scraper, it's probably back by noon. So what's the what's the point? It's about the, the air Yeah, I mean, it's right. about what's happening in your stomach. It's not a, a thing on your mouth. You know, it's not growing out of your tongue. Yeah. it's coming. Yeah. You know, from your from your stomach. Yeah. So I don't know. That's a that's one of those that's one of those topics where I feel like you could probably find information that would support whatever it is that you want to believe is the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. I have kind of an off top topic question. I was just uh, talking with Tiffany about here and um, I don't know how you feel about this, but when I was in Hawaii, I had um, a few friends that had essentially unwanted pregnancies and they got mm. acupuncture and it actually mm. stimulated the production of, you know, their menstrual cycle. And mm -hmm. is that a legitimate thing? Do you think that's an energy thing? I mean, obviously it's not something I would recommend, but I know now because I work in like a massage setting that you have to be very careful with pregnant women working on their feet and pressure points and whatnot. And just maybe your take on that or if that's not something you want to discuss, I understand. I just, it was just uh, piquing our interest. Yeah, yeah. Um can I ask how how far into those unwanted pregnancies were? Oh, first trimester. Yeah, first, first trimester. trimester. Yeah. Okay. 
was it like within the first six weeks? Yes. Or was it beyond that? Okay. No, it was first six weeks. Okay. Um, I personally am a extremely pro-choice person, mm-hmm. and I feel like whatever you want to do is your business. Um, what I've been taught, because we had we actually had a big discussion about this in in acupuncture school, and it was very divided, which I was kind of surprised about, but I shouldn't have been surprised about. Um, I now feel like I'm not sure how I would feel if somebody came in asking for that. Mm-hmm. It would, would really depend on who the person was and what my relationship to them was. Um, but what I've been taught is that it's extremely difficult to unseat a healthy pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I've been taught that by practitioners, like from a, um, uh, I, I've done a lot of, not a lot, I mean, I've done a fair amount of research into working on fertility issues and, um, uh, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, those, those contraindicated points for, for pregnancy because of the fact that you can potentially um, induce a spontaneous abortion. Um, and the consensus in the classes that I've been in is that it's it's very hard to do that. And I'm, I'm surprised and impressed that the women that you know had that actually work mm-hmm. because everybody that I've talked to I've never heard of it working Mm -hmm. I mean on a healthy pregnancy and that is the that is the operative word you know set of words phrase I guess there is that if it is a healthy pregnancy supposedly you can needle all of those points and it won't do anything because that pregnancy is so well seated in the body that it is hard to unseat now, if you have somebody who ha- is is not in the middle of a healthy pregnancy, and, and perhaps it's because those women had these treatments so early in their in their pregnancy that it didn't have time to become comfortable yet. Yes. Um, uh, that would be the only way I would know that you could do that. So it's almost like they they weren't fully pregnant yet perhaps because maybe the the egg hadn't or not the egg but the fetus hadn't fully implanted yet i the timing of those things is is not something that i feel real solid on mm-hmm. when when those things truly happen um well thank you that answers so, yeah Oh, good. good. On the on the other side of that, too, have you been able to work with women to help fertility with acupuncture? Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, it's been difficult. I, I haven't gotten to do it a lot. You know, I, I, I think part of the issue being up here and part of the issue being um, my own personality um I, I, I have not specialized my practice 
And so I see a little bit of everything. And so I've only had a few fertility cases. And um, the ones that have been successful, I've been an adjunctive therapy to um, IVF treatments. And um, not specifically um, trying to assist in um, a natural pregnancy. Although I have tried to do that, it just has not at this point in my practice been successful yet. But I know there are a lot of practitioners who specialize in that and are extremely effective. Yeah, well, it would make Um, sense if your body's energetically, physically out of whack, so to speak. Yes, yes. And for me, I think the biggest roadblocks for for those cases has been the um, investment in lifestyle changes that that needed to go along with why, you know, whatever was impeding the natural pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, some people just weren't willing to take all of those recommendations and do all of them. Um, other people, other people were, um, but when you get into fertility cases, there's a lot of herbal medicine involved and there's a lot of, um, customization that has to go along with those formulas and, and whether you're working with only the, the female or if you're also working with the male side of the equation. Um, and it gets really expensive really quickly. And I think because I practice up here, I'm hesitant to recommend a lot of those things because I know that the economics of the place where I'm living are thin. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't feel comfortable asking people to pay, you know, $200 a month or more for herbs for, you know, six months to a year before I'm going to guarantee that anything will happen with them getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I'm not confident enough because I haven't had enough experience. And so, um, yeah. yeah. Um, did you guys have any other uh, questions? I think we're coming up on an hour and a half, so I wondered. Um, yeah, I do have a final up. question. Cool. It sounds like you have a lot of personal goals regarding your acupuncture practice and places that you want to be. Like, what would you say would be like your ultimate goal as far as acupuncture? What would you be able to do? Mm. What would be your specialty? Oh man, I don't know. I think about that all the time. <laughs> everything, everything is so exciting when I start looking into it, and I just feel like a kid in a candy store. And everywhere I look, there's some new, exciting candy that I haven't haven't gotten enough time with. Um, I I really like working with women's health issues. I really I. I really like pain. I really like, I mean, I kind of like everything. My, I guess my goal would be that whoever walks in the door, I could make them feel better regardless of what the issue is. You know, I might not be able to cure them, 
but you know I would like to at least be able to improve their quality of life for you know for anybody walking through the door that would be my ultimate goal and then and then beyond that yeah it would be great to be able to effectively treat every single person in a in a reliable way but beyond that I I just can't pick. I'm a horrible generalist. <laughs> I just, I love variety and I, I get bored really quickly. And so it's, it's a lovely thing to be able to um, see a little bit of everything. And, and, and that's really been one of the benefits of moving up here is I get so much more variety than I did in Hawaii just, just because of the fact that I now have a referral network and I got to work at a medical clinic and, and see a lot of different things. Well, making people feel better, that's a worthy goal. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good It sounds like you're doing a great job, that you're so interested in learning about it that it keeps you inspired. Yeah, we can yeah. tell you're very excited about your craft. <laughs> <Yeah>. Thank you. <laughs> we all want to go get acupuncture. Let's go. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Do it. Fly, do fly it. you out here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anytime. Well, I guess I'll just say thanks for joining us. Yeah, that thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, we should uh, we'll do a follow up sometime. Maybe do some like come in and do needling on the air. Or yeah. 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 I, I have really one fun. quick question. Do yeah. you have a a book that you would recommend for lay people that are interested in it, but obviously aren't going to go to acupuncture school, but that could give some reference or background knowledge, just like something uh, like a book that inspired you along your path or something. Sure. Yeah. That'd be great. Um, there, there was a summer reading book that we had for the, for the time before, like from, for the summer before we started acupuncture that was recommended by the school and it's called um, The Web That Has No Weaver hmm. by Ted Kapchuk. It's like K-A-P-T- C-H-U-K, some kind of odd-to-pronounce last name. Um, and so I haven't read that book since that time. So I don't, I don't remember anymore if it was, you know, something that I would still feel is fantastic. But it was great at the time because it is written for the layperson. Um, and then if any of you guys have read Paul Pitchford's Healing with Whole Foods. He has a lot of Chinese medicine in that book, and it's it's like a nutrition cookbook kind of a source. And um, I don't know if the spark in the machine would be for the lay person. I mean, it's it's pretty fantastic. And I, I you know, I, that was the book that I was talking about earlier by um, Ted. I think his name is no Daniel. Keon, I'm not sure how to spell it, but or I mean how to say it, but it's Daniel K E O W N, maybe. It's the Spark in the Machine. The Spark in yeah, the Machine. I found it. I'll put the link. Up. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of great books. I feel like in the 11 years it's been since I started school. There, I just feel like there's so much more information out there now than there was, and it might just also be that I'm so much more aware of it. Um, 
there's yeah there's a lot of great sources out there awesome yeah yeah that healing with whole foods is is a great guide too I've read yeah that book. yeah i like that one well, I guess we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. We, uh, I'd like to say thanks to our chatters too for taking part in the chat today, and uh, everybody for tuning in. Um, you know, check out the materials, do your own research, look into this more. Maybe you have an acupuncturist in your area that you didn't know about. Um, so, with that said, uh, everybody have a great weekend. Be sure to check out the SOT Radio Show on Sunday at noon Eastern Time. Radio that Goodbye, everybody. Thanks. Goodbye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.